Trinitarian truth in a postmodern world. Shalom! Thank you for joining us for this sermon from Trinity Sunday, June 12, 2022, from Christchurch, Jerusalem. In today's world, truth has become personalized and relative. It is no longer acceptable to speak of the truth, but can only speak of my truth and your truth. In John's Gospel, Jesus often speaks of the truth, which is a correct understanding of who he is, along with right living, that is, doing the truth. Reverend David Pelegi tells us both are necessary to maintain that gift of divine life that we share with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. Deacon Aaron Imey starts us off with a word of prayer. So friends, we're about to hear God's word. Let's pray. O God, your name is veiled in mystery, and yet we dare to call you Father. Your Son was begotten before all ages, yet is born among us in time. Your Holy Spirit fills the whole creation, yet is poured forth now into our hearts. Because you have made us and loved us and called us by name, draw us more deeply into your divine life that we may glorify you rightly through your Son, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our first scripture is from the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, and then jumping to 22. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, and at the entrance, she cries aloud. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. Where there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place and before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains, foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel of John, 16th chapter, starting in verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from you what he will make known to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. I'd like to um, actually go back to the prayer that we prayed just a few minutes ago, because it's a words that can uh, very easily just be words. But the prayer that I'd like to repray is the following. Lord, because you have made us and loved us and called us by name, Draw us more deeply into your divine life that we may glorify you rightly. We may glorify you in truth through your Son in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. The first Sunday after Pentecost is uh, an unusual Sunday in a, a, a Christian tradition, because, um, or at least the tradition of this church, and we share that tradition with quite a few other churches, is that every Sunday has a focus, and uh, that focus uh, centers around something, an event in the life of Jesus, or in his family, John the Baptist or the people of Israel, the historical events. But uh, the first Sunday after Pentecost is theological. And it's given the name Trinity Sunday. And the preacher always has the interesting challenge or choice. You preach the doctrine or the feast, or do you preach the text, yes, that uh, has been assigned to the feast day? And I would like to not answer that question exactly, but to begin by telling you a story. The story I'd like to tell you is about a woman from Holland. And so this Dutch woman, I story was told to me by her daughter. 
She is visiting a mosque in southeastern Europe. Um, she decides this would be the, a great time to witness to these uh, Muslims hanging about in the mosque. And of course, they enter into a theological discussion, and then they begin asking her all kinds of questions about the Trinity. And she's stumped. She doesn't really know how to answer these questions. And then she gets the revelation. So she says, the revelation comes to her. You know, if we as Christians could just give up all this complicated theology, yes, about the Trinity, then it would remove the barriers or the great barrier that's preventing the Muslims from coming to the Lord. And uh, since that moment, since that revelation, when she says came to her from the Holy Spirit, she has uh, become a one-woman campaign uh, to uh, do everything she can to undermine the orthodox or the traditional biblical understanding as in the divinity of Jesus. And so... That, I think that woman, might, her story might be a little extreme, but at the same time, I find that there are so many others, other believers who actually are equally perplexed and equally confused, although they don't campaign uh, in the way that she does. And uh, when you ask them about the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they will tell you, well, it's something we believe, but afterwards it makes little or no difference in their life, right? It's just something theoretical or something something abstract. And uh, that's the great tragedy because that relationship that the Father has with the Son through the Holy Spirit, is probably as Christians or as believers, followers of Yeshua, Jewish believers, whatever, however we want to categorize ourselves or define ourselves, that's what's so incredibly special about the revelation that Jesus brings to us. That's what's so phenomenally rich, phenomenally rich, And some Christians by design and others just by ignorance somehow either want to throw it away or simply let it waste away. And for those of us, when you speak to our core congregation, for those of us who live in this city, you know, this is not something very easy. As we as as the Christian community in Jerusalem, and I include Messianic Jews, might number 20,000 or so. The population of this city is a million. Yes, Jews and Muslims. And so we, as a small, tiny minority, you know, are seriously, seriously misunderstood. And very often the place uh, where the misunderstanding happens right, is our understanding of the Godhead. 
And let me add one more challenge, especially to those of us, again, who are part of this community. We are a community that takes very seriously our Jewish roots. Yes. Uh, and in the process, many of those who have been traveling with us over a number of years have uh, developed a somewhat distorted and very shallow view of history and theology. And it works something like this. Along came a bad guy called Constantine, and he decided to turn Jesus, you know, into a god. And uh, Jesus was deified, and that uh, no good tricky Constantine, he finagled things at the Council of Nicaea, and uh, created a Hellenized Christianity that, you know, is a distortion because we all know the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. By the way, these are the same people who will um, invite you to ask Jesus into, into your heart. And of course, that language doesn't exist in the Bible either, does it not? And so we have to contend you know, with, uh, with such challenges. And for, and again, this is a subject that comes up in the core congregation uh, all the time. And I think what I'd like to suggest is a, an alternative, yes, that has uh, a lot of convincing evidence to go with it. That the divinity of Jesus, yes, and even the divinity of the Spirit, is not something that develops slowly along the way or percolated over a few hundred years after the death of Jesus, but was virtually there from the beginning. It was virtually there from the beginning. And uh, well, we even have Jewish scholars, a number of Jewish scholars, who honestly say that Jews in the Second Temple period held such beliefs or held beliefs that were similar. Yes, not all Jews, but many Jews. So uh, th this is something that we need to take. All of these things need to be taken uh, into consideration. It's not, the, it's not how did Jesus become God. Rather, instead, why did God become Jesus? Yes. Why did God enter into our story? and take on human flesh, right? That's the question that should be asked. And again, we should be very careful, even if we don't fully understand, and none of us will fully understand that relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But we have to be very careful not to surrender what's rich and precious and uh, perhaps most powerful. So it's a question of the truth. And as we look in our text today, in John 16, yes, in that text, we have Jesus giving us one more. This is probably the, the, the fifth, yes, of five uh, uh, five uh, uh, explanations of why his disciples need the Spirit. Just above, he tells us that the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict 
the world of its sin. And here he's now going to say that uh, I have a lot more to say to you. And in essence, his disciples, they can't take it in or they can't fully understand it at this moment. And so Jesus goes on to say, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The spirit of truth will be the one who guides us into the truth. Now for us as moderns, to talk about the truth might seem a little um, difficult, especially for those who maybe are under 40, because the idea of an um, objective truth, of there being a right and a wrong, something true or something false, strikes a lot of people uh, as today, in uh, many parts of the world, but especially in the West, it's incomprehensible. Because after all, in the postmodern world, we all know that the truth, yes, i.e. big ideas, and nationalism or socialism or capitalism or patriarchy, whatever it may be, has been used to hurt people and to cause suffering and to cause pain. And therefore... Yes, as a way of eliminating, yes, human suffering, as a way of bringing, you might say, more peace and more tolerance, what we need to do is deconstruct the truth. We need to pull it apart so that it has no power. And if there is any truth, it's my truth and your truth. Yes, it becomes very relative. And it's about my experience. It's no longer about the truth, right? But instead, it's about something much smaller. You see this at the university and the, and the study of history. Yes, it's very hard now for, for uh, historians and the students of history to ask why things are happening or why did something happen? Yes, you know, why did war, the Second World War happen? Instead, you've got a whole industry, a whole, you've got scholarship that focuses on things. What did the German army eat when they surrounded Stalingrad? Or what was the command structure like, you know, when the British commandos landed at Normandy? <clears throat> yes, it's all very small. Yes because people are afraid to touch the big picture. But, you know, got John's gospel and Jesus himself, you know, makes a point that the truth is incredibly important. You might uh, remember Jesus in front of Pilate when Jesus says, you know, Pilate says, um, are you a king? Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. And so the spirit of truth is here or comes to us and comes to the world to reveal to us who exactly Jesus is. 
And if we don't understand, if we don't have, you might say, that uh, right foundation, not that we have to be uh, fully understanding the mystery, but if we don't have a right foundation, what happens is, is that we won't, we will not enter into life. And by entering into life here, do I mean is that because someone doesn't have the perfect, proper view of who Jesus is, they're somehow not going to go to heaven? That's not what John talks about when he talks about life in most cases. But he talks about a proper, yes, a proper relationship with God the Father that comes through that comes through his son. And so let me read you first John. Yes, because first John is sometimes the commentary on the on the Gospel of John. It always kind of fixes where people began to misunderstand and misinterpret John's gospel. And here's what the John has to say. John says as follows. He says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. And who is a liar? It is he, uh, sorry, it is the man who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. Eternal life. Right? Who are we going to have a relationship with? Someone who's just the Messiah? Someone who's a prophet? Someone who was an interesting poet? Somebody who's actually less than divine? Yes? And... Good teaching and good doctrine is important. It's even essential. Again, if we want life, yes, we have to know the person or understand, yes, who we're entering into a relationship with. You know, at the end of John's Gospel, you know, where Thomas makes the confession, my Lord and my God. At the end of John's gospel, you get this amazing verse. These things were written so that we may believe, right? And here I want to emphasize, um, whether it's in the epistles or in John's gospel, the, uh, the understanding that believing in Jesus is not just, oh, yes, I believe he's the Messiah, or I believe he's the Son of God, or I believe that he is himself, right? Uh, related to comes from God and, is God and is God. All of that intellectually is not enough, right? Because to believe, to have this belief, it means that we're going to commit ourselves to him. There's a commitment that has to follow. And it's not just a commitment to the Jesus that we um, or, or 
to our own personal truth. Yes, all of us are guilty of constructing a Jesus that we're comfortable with personally and constructing a Jesus that we think the, the society outside is comfortable with. And so uh, many of us, most of us, you know, will engage in some form of misinterpretation or uh, in one form or another. But that is not, that's not what we're called. We're called to believe in him and to, to commit ourselves to a person and to that person that he actually claims to be. Now, it's been very easy over the years for Christians to kill themselves and slaughter themselves over doctrine. And it's been, uh, in, some, in some ways, it's been a tragedy. And in some ways, people uh, um, hide behind uh, uh, you know, these doctrinal wars. And in many cases, um, there has been a... Um, the you might say the scenes in Christian history have been incredibly ugly. Ugly, but we we also need to remember. Yeah, we also need to remember that as important as right, this that this as important as the truth is, the truth that the Spirit Himself will reveal. If there is also another aspect to the truth. That is uh, not, you might say, um, easily remembered. Because again, we find it comfortable to make to say, yes, I can sign that doctrinal statement. Oh, yes, I can repeat that creed. Oh, I believe in this, but I don't believe in that. That's only half of the truth, as we understand in John's Gospel. The other half of the truth is something that we do, not just something that we believe. And we had better both keep them in in balance. Christian history has been one of fighting, fighting, fighting over ideas and theology. Interestingly, on on the Jewish side, more often than not, they they have uh, argued and squabbled not over theology, but over practice. But we have to keep a balance between both. And the truth is not something that we commit ourselves to, some kind of intellectual theological idea. The truth is also a way of living. It's a way of life. And we have to not simply believe the truth, but we have to do the truth. The truth is something that we do. And... We'll see. So let me remind you again. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. Here's, by the way, he's commanding belief. His command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Right? 
In John's gospel, there are in the epistles, there are numerous examples of talking about living in the truth, walking in the truth, doing the truth. You know, the most famous uh, verse in John's gospel is the, is the most abused. It's the most unfortunate verse in the Bible because every political movement and every political party has appropriated this verse. Good guys, bad guys. And you know what the verse is? The truth shall make you free. And everyone can say, amen. The truth can make you free. But how do you get the truth according to John 8, chapter 32? How does that truth come about? Jesus said, and this is the part we don't quote, if you keep on being my disciple, if you keep on following me, if you keep on imitating me, then you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Right? Then you will know the truth. The truth is something we do. Yes. So the next time someone starts fighting about, well, you're not, you're not doing the truth, you don't believe the truth. So, and again, some of these, are, these scenes are very ugly. Yeah. I, and again, I don't want to condone bad teaching or false teaching. I don't think any of us should. Because bad teaching leads, can lead to, to destruction and can send a person to hell. But at the same time, I wish that Christians would spend more time arguing about the right way to live and not just, you know, the right theological ideas. Having the right theology can sometimes be easy and cheap. Living in a way that pleases the Lord and learning to love each other so that we can also have life, eternal life. Yes, and again, eternal life here is that relationship, right? That intimate relationship with God. That's the thing that should, maybe that's the thing that we should focus on as much as making sure that we don't have right theology. Now, why is the truth so important? Whether the truth is theological or the truth is practical. Again, something that we do. It's important for the following reasons, and we will and and we will go forward just a little bit. Yes. It says he will not speak of his own, he will speak only of what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He and maybe I should stop here for a moment. This is written to the apostles. This is written to the leaders of the community. And uh, having a revelation by the Holy Spirit is not up to one person. Yes, not one person somewhere, somewhere decides, you know, God has told me this, and uh, therefore all of this must be true. Yeah, the whole history of the the spiritual history of the world is full of people having relation, full of people having revelation and leading so many other people astray. Let's go back to our truth for a moment. When someone says to me, or someone says to you, hey, 
Yeah, you believe in this Jesus stuff, so you have your truth and I have my truth. What's the answer to that? The answer is very simply, oh, I don't have my truth. You might have your truth, but actually I have our truth. And our truth is the experience of millions of people for the last 2,000 years and even more who have experienced the risen Jesus. And that risen Jesus, being divine, yes, being powerful, yes, has set millions of people free from sin. Millions of people have been, all through history, have been set free from death and the fear of death and the dominion of Satan. And you want to tell me about your truth and your personal experience? You want to tell me about your revelation? The Lord does give us revelation. But if it contradicts, yes, not only the scripture or what the the church has basically understood over the last 2,000 years, then it's from the wrong spirit. And so we go further. And here, and here is, I think, what is, he says, he will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And here is the Spirit, yes, that reveals to us in a deeper way. Yes, not just who is Jesus and not only how to have life, but the quality of that life and how that life is defined. Here you have a relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this relationship is defined, yes, not in a hierarchy. Yes, this relationship doesn't work by manipulation, doesn't work by intimidation, it doesn't work by power games. You can see the difference between the truth, yes, as found and expressed, yes, in the Godhead, and the truth in human history. It is true, like I said, the people, and governments, and movements, and individuals, they've used the big ideas of the world to oppress people and to bring huge amounts of suffering. That's why today so many people are afraid of what they call of the truth as a, as a big concept. But in the relationship in the Godhead, none of that exists. And the Father and the Son relate to each other and the Spirit. Yes, it's a relationship of love. It's a relationship of giving. It's a relationship of honoring one another. It's a relationship of mutual submission as well. And that's the invitation, right? That's why the spirit of truth comes. Yes, it's for to help us to understand that we are invited into a family. We're invited into a relationship between the father and the son. It's not a relationship just between God and the Messiah that he happens to send. It's not a relationship between God and some guy that 
God found wandering around Galilee and sat him go down to the Jordan River and made him a Messiah. It's, a, it's an eternal relationship. The Father is loving the Son, and the Son loves the Father from before eternity. Right? The Father is a Father before He is even a Creator. And the Father has a Son. And the Father and the Son, surely, from before the beginning of time, have loved and enjoyed each other. And we're invited not just to imitate. I used to think, well, the Trinity is, we imitate God and we imitate Jesus and it happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. But now I realize that all those years I've been thinking about, you know, the imitation of God is really the imitation of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, that something was missing. Because it's more than just imitating. When you imitate, you stand at a distance and, and you look and you observe and you take notes. Yes. But the invitation is to participate. We're invited in to this relationship. And we're called upon, yes, not only to be to, to be a part of this family, but we're called into, and then as a community, we're sent out. Yes. And we do become the community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But again, that only happens in the power of the Holy Spirit. It happens when the Spirit convicts us of our sin and we are willing to repent. It happens when the the Spirit helps us to come to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is, not some Jesus that we make in our own image or make up, make because out of some kind of convenience. It happens when the Spirit teaches us to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. And all of that brings glory to Jesus, who then glorifies God. And I think that is the the benefit, yes, of the Trinity. I know the name's not mentioned in the Bible. We can just talk about the fellowship of the Godhead. But it's indispensable. So brothers and sisters, let us not sweep it under the carpet. Let's not easily say, well, I don't understand it. We'll fully, we'll never fully understand it. But all of us can and should participate. As I said, it starts with a conviction of sin and repentance. It, it, it next comes inviting the Holy Spirit yes, to minister to us and to reveal to us again who Jesus is in meditation and in Bible reading and fellowship, sometimes in suffering and in difficulties. Yes, all of this is where we, part, we participate. And this is what it means to have life. Yes, eternal life. Something that begins now. And it's a fellowship that will continue 
after we die. Lord, I pray that you will teach us, your children, the meaning of life, real life, and what our highest calling is. Our participation and that fellowship that you have with the Father and the Son. Between, the, between you and your Son. Lord, we ask that um, all of us will indeed hear the invitation clearly. And Lord, willingly, even passionately, want to participate in all that you offer us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.